Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not yet seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man, Because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is life to us. It's alive for us today. And I thank you for the blessings that you have for us in it as you teach us and train us up in the faith that has saved us and is taking us all the way home to you. We thank you and we love you in Jesus name. Amen. So we have been talking the last few weeks now uh, here out of Hebrews 11 or around Hebrews 11 about living by faith. And Hebrews 11 takes us back into the Old Testament. It teaches us about the lives of faith lived in the Old Testament. What we learned uh, starting off is that faith is needed. If you back up into chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, it tells you that you don't need to throw away your confidence because it will bring about for you endurance. The confidence that you have in Christ will help you endure the things that we need to endure in this life and that the righteous live by faith. Last week, we talked about the creation of the world and how our creation story matters. What we believe about creation Matters and it forms our attitude, which leads into our actions. And we saw there in verse three, it's by faith that we under, even understand creation. And today we get over into verse four, where it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So it takes us to the story, the account, all the way back in the book of Genesis, which we'll go there in just a minute, of Cain and Abel. And when we hear about Cain and Abel, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Killing, right? Murder. Cain kills Abel. That's what we talk about all the time. That story, that's what comes to mind first. But that's not what Hebrews talks about. Doesn't even mention it, does it? It's not what it points us to. In there, what does it cover? It talks about how by faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice or offered a better sacrifice to God than Cain did. And by that, he was approved as a righteous man because of his faith, because of his offering, because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So it's going to speak to us today. It's going to teach us about faith today because it says even though he died, he still speaks through his faith. So let's look over into that story. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter four, Genesis chapter four. Now we want to situate ourselves in this story because last week we did talk about creation Uh, But there's some things that happen between that and our story today. During creation, God created mankind. It said he created them male and female, remember? And he placed them in the garden, the garden of 
Eden and he gave them some instructions. He said, do this, what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, tend the garden that I have created. And he told them something not to do. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Right. So he told them some things to do, told them some things not to do. And what we know, what we know about that story is they did what? They did the wrong thing. They ate of the tree. When they ate of the tree, they realized their nakedness or that they were uncovered and they were ashamed. And in their shame, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, Scripture says in the book of Genesis. And then as the Lord came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he said, Adam, where are you? And they said, what? They said, we realized we were naked and we were ashamed and we were afraid. And so he goes first to the man who points to the woman. It's like, well, it's the woman's fault. And then the woman points to the serpent. She says, well, it's the serpent's fault. And the Lord goes down through them in that reverse order, curses the serpent, speaks over the woman and speaks over the man. And after he's spoken over them, what telling them life is about to become very difficult for you. Life is about to become very difficult for you. And it says, look at this, at the end of chapter three, the Lord sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. But before he did that, in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made clothing for them from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. So that's where we are in this story. He clothes them because their clothing was not good enough. Their fig leaves weren't doing a good job. And he removes them from the garden, drives them out of the garden. And then we get to chapter four, which is what's referred to in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I want to read that 12 verses there, at least. This is after Adam and Eve have been driven out east of the garden of Eden. It says the man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Amen. You're doing good. I also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do what is not right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? 
Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So you have the two boys of Adam and Eve, and it says they came to offer sacrifices. And Hebrews tells us that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. So again, normally what we see in this story is the murder. It's the killing. But Hebrews doesn't point us to that. It talks to us about how Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice than Cain. So as I was studying on this, I was trying, I was thinking through it, Lord, if we're looking at it from that perspective, what is it that you're wanting to teach us out of Genesis chapter 4? You're pointing us to this in regards to our faith. What can I learn about faith from this passage? One of the ways we've defined faith is we've been talking about it out of Hebrews 11. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's, also, it's seeing the way that God sees, seeing himself the way that he is, ourselves the way that we are, the world the way that he sees it. So how did Abel see differently? He offered a better sacrifice. It says that by faith it was better, but why was it better? And so we'll dig into that a little bit. We had to make some assumptions as we're reading this because there's some things that it doesn't tell us, but I believe we can assume. It seems to be that there was an appointed place, an appointed time, and an appointed means of worship or sacrifice. Because if you look at that, it says in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So it seems like there was a place they were to go, a time they were supposed to go there, and at least a form of worship or sacrifice to the Lord. And I wondered, I wondered for a long time. I had read that. I was like, well, why were they sacrificing? It doesn't tell them to. We don't see a record in there saying, I want you to do this. We find that later when Moses goes up the mountain and he comes back with the law, the sacrificial system. We see all of that then, but we don't see any of that so far in the book of Genesis. But obviously they've heard about sacrifice from somewhere. Now, there's only a couple places it could have come from, right? God himself or their parents, not a whole lot of other people around. We could get over into that. There were some others, I believe, around, but they wouldn't have known anything other than what those folks knew. So they've heard about sacrifice from somewhere and they seem to be offering it either for to obtain favor with God or simply to have fellowship with him. And those are some of the assumptions. Now, some facts here is that they brought different offerings. Cain brought some fruit of the ground. You know, he, he tended the ground. He raised crops. He brought some of the fruit of that. And Abel brought the firstborns of his flock, likely sheep, right, is what we're thinking. But Cain's offering was bloodless. It was the fruit of his work. It was the fruit of the ground, which if you look back, again, I told you he cursed. God cursed the serpent. And then he spoke over the man and the woman. And in his speaking over the man, God cursed the ground. 
And he said, the ground isn't going to easily bring forth fruit for you. You're going to have to toil and sweat and work. And even then you're going to get thistles and thorns. And it's going to, ha- it's going to be harder for you to subdue this ground. So he brought forth the, a bloodless sacrifice, fruit of his work, fruit of the ground that had been cursed. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and its fat, which was seen as highly valuable, right? We'd see that later on in Scripture. It's, it's in size. And so they brought this, and then it also says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Now, I do wonder what did that look like? What did his regard for the offering look like? To know that one was accepted and one was not acceptable to him. One was received, one was not received. The only thing I can think that we see later on in Scripture is fire from heaven, right? That had been pretty neat and pretty obvious. Fire from heaven consumes one and not the other. Don't know. But it, obviously there was an outward sign to them that God Almighty had regard for Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering. And so when Cain found out and saw that his offering was not regarded, it said that he was furious and looked despondent or his countenance fell. You've seen people's countenance fall. They go from looking normal to, oh, and he was furious. He was stoked with anger. That's a really aggressive reaction that he had. And the Lord asked Cain the same thing. Why are you acting this way about your sacrifice? Why are you you furious? Why has your countenance fallen? Why do you look despondent? He says it in verse 7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do what is not right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over And so you have this vivid image of sin as an animal crouching at the door to consume you, to eat you alive. And it reminds me of the way that James describes temptation and sin over in the New Testament in James 1 and 14, where he said each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And he's talking about how we move from temptation. We're drawn away and enticed by our evil desire. And then it starts talking about it like a pregnancy. It says after desire has conceived, that sinful desire has conceived. It begins to grow on the inside of us and gives birth to sin and sin when it grows up works death brings about death in our life and so it's a perfect explanation of how sin works in our life and we see it working here in Cain starting from the inside and working its way out his outburst his, his anger his fury his countenance falling him looking despondent reveals the sin in his heart And at the same time, Abel is commended for exhibiting faith, which leads us to ask, what was sinful about Cain's offering and faithful about Abel's offering? What what made Cain's sinful and Abel's acceptable? And we'll come back to that. But in verse eight, it says Cain, this is right after God warns Cain. This is what it says next. 
Cain said to his brother Abel, verse 8, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So Cain is angry at God and he takes it out on his brother. We ever done that? Angry at God, angry at someone else and we take it out on somebody different. Cain's angry with God and he takes it out on his brother. He ignores God's warning, takes his brother out to the field where the sacrifices had come from, attacked him and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? It's kind of a call back to the garden where God said, where are Adam? Where are you? Now he knew where he was. They weren't playing hide and seek. He wanted Adam to locate himself. He wanted Adam to know where it was that he was. I'm outside of where I should be. And so when he comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother Abel? Cain, he even gets smart. He said, I don't know where he is. Am I his guardian? Am I his keeper? Am I his shepherd? I'm not saying that's your job. Why are you asking me? And the Lord says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me. From the ground. And then he curses Cain. He said, you'll be alienated from this ground. You can't even stay here. Remember, they had been removed from the garden, east of the garden. He said, you can't even stay here. You're going to have to go further away. You're alienated even from this ground that opened its mouth to drink your brother's blood that you shed. He said, and no matter how hard you work the ground, it will not yield for you anymore. And you will be a restless wanderer. You're going to have a fruitless life. You're going to wander lost and you're going to be further removed. See, the murder was an outflow of his pride and the sin that was birthed in his heart played out in his relationship with his brother. And when they were supposed to be trying to get closer to God, he ended up farther away. That's the story that's given to us. And it resurfaces in Hebrews 11, verse 4, when Abel is commended for his faith. It's there to teach us about faith. Because it said, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So it's by faith that was he was approved as a righteous man. It's by faith that God approved his gifts and he still speaks through his faith, even though he is dead. So what is it speaking to us today? What can we learn about Abel's faith today and what was sinful about Cain's sacrifice and faithful about Abel's sacrifice. And again, we talked about Cain's sacrifice was bloodless. These are just the facts of it. Fruit of his work, his toil. It was the fruit of the ground. It said he brought some of the fruit of the ground. Right? And Abel brought what? The firstborn. He brought a lamb and brought it whole and complete. So I want to zoom in a little bit deeper or closer on this 
and look at not just their offerings, but the attitude behind the offerings. When, you, when you're Cain and you're bringing the fruit of the ground, the ground that God had cursed because of sin, or you're Abel and you're bringing the firstborn lamb, that harkens back to Genesis 3 when God slayed an animal himself to make a covering for the man and for the woman. God slew the animal himself so that he could clothe the nakedness of Adam and Eve with that animal skin. So we're going to use some, some words here. I'm going to say seems to in front of it, okay? Which means it doesn't tell me I'm 100% certain, but I'm, I'm going to say this is interpreting here what we have. Here's what I believe we can learn from it. Cain's sacrifice seems to say, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. I've been able to work this ground. My work is acceptable to the Lord because I'm bringing my work, the toil of my hands to the Lord. That is my sacrifice. This ground is actually good. It's been fruitful. And I'm bringing that what I've been able to do. I'm bringing that before the Lord. And Abel's sacrifice seems to say, I need a covering. It seems to say, I need a covering that only the Lord can provide. My own covering doesn't work, right? That's the story of the fig leaves, which they weren't there for, but they would have heard about. My own covering doesn't work. And one thing we learn later on in the New Testament is that the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin will bring about death. See, Cain and Abel were both in need of saving. They both came to worship. Cain was not an atheist. He came to worship the Lord, but he came to do it with eyes of flesh. That I can do this. I can make myself acceptable to God. What I've done will be received. And one was commended because he saw with eyes of faith. That only you can do this, Lord. Only you can do this. And as I was thinking on this, I was driving a little bit, I think on Friday morning. And, and this way of saying it bubbled up uh, for me. That one said, bless the Lord, O my soul. And the other one said, impress the Lord, O my soul. One came to bless the Lord and say, God, I need what only you can do. And the other one came and said, I'm going to impress you with what I have done. So you see the difference there. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, or impress the Lord, oh, my soul. Show him what you can do and he will receive you. And it reminded me of what also is said in the book of James, that God resists the proud. He resists pride, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And that's actually quoting the book of Proverbs when he says that. So drawing this to kind of framing up an end here. Hebrews 11 Reminds us of the of Cain and Abel, not the story of Cain and Abel reminds us of Cain and Abel, not to teach us that we shouldn't commit murder. We know that by this point we should know that. 
It doesn't pull it back to our remembrance to teach us about murder or anger or relationships between brothers, but it does so to commend a life of faith. Because it said, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Having been told the story, these boys had been told the story of God, creation, their parents, their sin, its effect, the world. They've been told all of this. Having been told it all, they came to the place of worship. At the time of worship, it doesn't tell us where that place was. Right? Doesn't tell us where the place was. Here's what I think. It said that they were driven out of the garden, out east of the garden. And that so they wouldn't be in the garden eating of the tree of life that God placed in front of it. A cherubim and a flaming whirling sword. I always thought it said a cherubim with a sword. That's not what it says. It says a cherubim and a flaming whirling sword, like two different things. And so what I believe is that these boys taken probably, goodness gracious. Yeah, it's one of those red ones. Yeah, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. That these boys, probably based on an example from their parents, would go back to where the angel stood and where the flaming, whirling sword was to present a sacrifice to God in the likeness of what he himself had done in the garden as a means of trying to restore fellowship with him, trying to get back home because they had been removed from home. They had been removed from God's good and right garden. And so that's what I believe is that they came to this place of worship where this heavenly display was, you know, whether God was Part of the flaming fiery sword, I do not know, but they definitely associated it with him that this is a place, at least this garden where God still dwells, this garden, that they came there to the place of worship. And again, why would they come to try to restore or experience some type of fellowship with him? And again, what did they bring? They brought a sacrifice. And Hebrews tells us, Genesis tells us too, that it was by faith that Abel brought a better sacrifice than Cain. And even though he died, his faith still speaks. What is it saying? Here's what I believe it's saying. That when we approach God, when we say I want to be at home with you. That's what they were saying, right? When we say, I want to be at home with you, 
when we enter into his presence, we should know that a sacrifice is required. We should know that a sacrifice is required, like what we learned from Eden, that we are going to need a covering, a covering that only the Lord can provide because the covering that we can make for ourselves is not sufficient. They knew that they, the man and the woman, because of their sin, felt shame and guilt and they realized that they understood they were uncovered. They were vulnerable and ashamed and they tried to cover themselves. They tried to stitch together those fig leaves to cover themselves. And we try to do that. We try to develop works and righteousness on our own to try to cover that not okay feeling that we have when we are outside of God Almighty. When we are away from him, when we're away from home, we try to build up for ourselves a covering that will make us be okay. And it doesn't work, does it? So we know we need one. We know the one we can make is not good enough. Only God himself can cover us. And we realize and note from the very beginning that the wages of sin, the only thing sin can work is Death. So when we have sin in our life, it's going to, in our end, work death. And we are going to need a sacrifice. And we can come before the presence of God with all of our works, all of our accomplishments, all the things that we've done, all the things that we could take pride in, and we could lay it before him and go, I've done a pretty good job. You should let me come home. You should let me come home because of who I am and because of what I've done, what I've accomplished. Look at it. Look what I've done. And that's what Cain brought. Look what I've done. I'm doing well. And Abel came and said, I understand that I need a covering. I understand that I need a sacrifice that's outside of anything that I can do. And thankfully, his sacrifice that he brought was was him putting faith in God Almighty that you will provide a covering for me. I'm reminding you that you covered us. When mom and dad got kicked out of the garden, you covered them. And I know that you're going to cover me. Because what did he do? He promised that he would that everything when the seed of the woman came forth and crushed the head of the serpent, he promised that he would once again bless mankind, didn't he? And Abel's reminding him of that promise. That's what made their sacrifices so different. It's what made Cain's sinful and prideful and Abel's received and faithful. And so we hear the same gospel, the same good news today. We hear the bad news first. They would have got that first. Hey, boys, here's what happened. Here's why we don't live in the garden. Here's why we live east of the garden. Here's why we are where we are. Because sin entered the world. Sin entered our hearts. It changed and affected our relationship with God. And we were driven out. But before we were driven out, here's what he said. He said he would he said that he would bring us back. He said that he would make a way for us to come 
home and he covered us. He covered our nakedness. He covered our, our shame before we left. We're going to get to go back home. And that's the same gospel that we hear today. Here's where we are. We were driven from the garden. There was sin in our lives, in our hearts. We didn't just inherit uh, Adam's guilt and death. We, we ourselves are sinners. We ourselves have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully, he provided a covering. So when we get to go home, whenever that is, if it's today, if it's 100 years from now, whenever we get to go home and we get to the gate, I don't know what's going to be there. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's a flame and whirling sword. Maybe that would be neat. I don't know. When we get there, why do we get to go in? Why do we get to go in? It's not because, well, I did this. Well, I did that. Well, I read the Bible a bunch. Well, I prayed a whole lot. Well, I helped people every time that I could. I did this and this and this and this and this. Because the list of things that we did for ill and for wrong will always outweigh the things that we did for right. We don't get to show up and give him our list of how we impressed him and how we were varsity level Christians. And we did such a better job than everybody else. Why? Because it says he resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So when I get there, my answer has to be because he said I can come. He said I can come. It's by it's by grace that I've been saved through faith and not of my works. The covering. What is my hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is my only confidence? That my soul to him belongs. So that's when we come to the gate, you're getting the answer to the test before you get there. When you come to the gate, why do you get to come in? It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what he did. It's because of what he did for me, that he took my sin, my shame, that he became my covering, that just like that animal was slain in the garden to provide a covering for man and woman, even as they were driven out, he was slain. Though he didn't deserve it, that animal in the garden had done nothing wrong. He was slain on my account, his blood shed for me so that he could be my covering. And he rose from the grave to prove that that sacrifice was sufficient, that even with with my sin on him and your sin on him and all of our sin on him, death still couldn't hold him. And he rose from the grave to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient. And he stands at the right hand of the father, making intercession for us. And it, it tells us that he is going to save to the uttermost. That means all the way back home. All those who have put their faith and their trust in him, Christ Jesus. So why was Abel's approved and Cain's rejected? Cain brought it by the flesh. Look what I can do. I I am going to make you proud. And Abel came with an offering that pointed to faith. You are, I, I can do nothing to make you proud. I can do nothing to cover this sin. You're going to have to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the commendations that we find in it to live by faith. Lord, there are things that we're going to do out of our faith that are going to be good for us and a blessing to others, but they do not purify our soul and they do not get us home. I thank you that you took 
dead hearts and made them alive. You, you took hearts that were dark with sin and turned the light on when, they, when, when our sin was as crimson stains. You washed us white as snow. It's completely unscientific and totally miraculous, but you did it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we know we need a covering and by faith we know that you provided a covering, that our fig leaves weren't cutting it. We needed our sin and our shame to be covered and you provided that for us. So as we go through this life, that we would see the way that Abel saw, that we would see through eyes of faith, knowing and understanding that sin crouches at the door. Sin crouches at the door waiting to devour us. But this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, our faith in Christ, seeing that his sacrifice is, was, and will always be sufficient for us to get home. I don't know what it looks like, but if it looks anything like walking back towards the gate at the Garden of Eden that we had been kept out of because of sin, I think that we get to enter in and be back at home with you because of Jesus Christ. And if you've not put your faith in Christ, again, it's not a work, it's not a striving, it's not difficult to do other than you lay your life down before Him and you say, I see my sin and I see how it's separated me from you. And I've realized and now I understand that I can't clean it up. I thought I could do better. I thought I could get better, but I can't ever do enough in and of myself to get home. I need a covering. And the preacher told me that you have provided that by your great grace and your love for me. You have made a way for my sins to be cleansed and for me to be able to go home. And when you ask him to forgive you your sin, he's faithful and just to do it and cleanse you of unrighteousness. And home with him starts now and lasts for the rest of our life and then all of eternity. And we get to know him more deeply. We walk with him more closely and we experience home now in part and completely when we get to see him face to face. Father, I thank you that it is by faith that that hope becomes a reality and it's the evidence of things that are yet invisible reaching over into that future result that we can have that calm confidence that we are and will be at home with you not based on what we can do because we'd mess it up but based on what only you can do we thank you in Jesus name Lord as we get ready to go today bless us as we go. Keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and bring us peace. Lord, those who aren't able to be here with us today because they're uh, sick, ill, weak in their body, I pray that you strengthen them. As only you can, that you heal them in Jesus' name. That they would rest 
well and return quickly to us. Lord, those that are traveling, all of our ladies coming back from conference, everybody else on the road, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you're gracious to them right where they are. I thank you that they receive from you right where they are and you bring them safely back to us in Jesus' name. And as we go through this week, that we see like Abel saw, that we would see with eyes of faith, walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We thank you for all these things and most of all, your goodness towards us when we didn't deserve it. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.